We're continuing this morning in our series we started last week talking about healthy relationships and this concept that our God is a relational God and He has created us, hardwired us for relationship, yet we live in a fallen world where relationships are often strained or difficult or frustrating or even at times hurtful. But for those of us that have come to Christ and given ourselves to Him, our relationship with God has now been healed, and so from that healing, we can now have a foundation and a platform to seek healing and restoration in earthly relationships. And so we can find health with spouses and children and parents and siblings and friends and neighbors and classmates and co-workers. We can, in Christ, find healthy relationships. To do that, it's going to require the Holy Spirit. It's going to require obedience. It's going to require being intentional with one another or it's going to require a playground. Because kids, you, you guys have it easy. Like for adults, relationship is hard. For kids, you put a, a few kids on a playground, never met each other, give them 30 seconds, they'll be best friends, and they'll be playing tag together with smiles, right? But for, for adults, beyond that, it takes being intentional. It takes work. It takes energy. It takes investment. And so we're looking at key passages in the Word of God that inform us and instruct us. How do we pursue healthy, godly, fulfilling relationships? And we're talking in this six-week series about in the home, in the church, and in the world. We saw last week in Colossians chapter 3 that this begins with the foundation of the gospel, coming to Christ through him, taking off the old nature, putting on the new nature. We're going to look this morning at Romans 12. You can turn there now in your Bibles. If you're using one of the hardback blue Bibles from the back, it's page 947. And we're going to talk about what it is to show honor. Next week, we'll look at Philippians 2 and talk about cultivating humility. Then what it is to build others up. Then in James 3, how we disagree respectfully. And then finally, we'll wrap up in Ephesians 5, talking about walking in love. But this morning in Romans 12, our key idea is that we show honor. Now, first and foremost, we honor God. But because of our honor of God, we then also honor others. Now, honor is not a word that we use very often. Um, kids, you may have heard it used before, like when somebody gets an award at school or, or on TV or in sports, the people say, That's a, what a great honor, right? To honor someone is to recognize their value and their worth. Once you recognize someone's value and worth, it means you treat them with dignity, you treat them with respect, this idea of esteem. To esteem someone is to treat them with honor. You truly value them and you see them as worthy. Now we're going to talk later on about how, how exactly we do value, why we consider people worthy. So for now, let's uh, begin with Romans chapter 12. I'm going to pray and then we will read together. Kids, hope you'll follow along in the outline. I'll give you a chance to fill in our four main points this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your spirit who has been present among us, leading us in prayer and in worship and encouragement. And we pray now, Lord God, that you'd send your Holy Spirit to guide our time in the word. Give us an attentiveness to you, to your, what you've taught us in your word. Help us to, to honor you as the one who's worthy of all praise and yet to treat one another in the home, in the church, and yes, even in the world with honor, with dignity, with respect. Give us grace as men and women of God to facilitate healthy relationships, godly relationships. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Amen. So we start off there in the first two verses, we see this key beginning concept that we are called to be transformed, not conformed. You can go ahead and fill that in, that the idea that we are called to be transformed by Christ, by his Holy Spirit, not conformed to the world, begins there in verse 1 saying, look, brothers or brothers and sisters, in view of God's great mercy on us, we are urged to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if you're with us during our fall and winter series in Hebrews, we saw how critical the idea of sacrifice was in the Israelite faith and to the Christian faith. That just as the Hebrews in the Old Covenant offered precious spotless lambs and goats on the altar, so we offer our very lives to God. Now, we don't offer our lives to God as an atonement for sin. Jesus did that once and for all. But we offer ourselves as a sacrifice of worship. And we read there that it's not a dead sacrifice, it's a living sacrifice, our very lives. See, offering our bodies in worship doesn't just mean your, your physical self given to God, but it means all of life on earth, your body, your soul, your mind, your heart, your emotions, your dreams. And we see there in verse 1 that a life lived in devotion and obedience to God is a spiritual offering of worship. We live our lives as an act of thanksgiving and worship and devotion to God, a sacrifice that is holy and acceptable, our own lives set apart and cleansed through the work of Christ. And so this morning, before we leave, we're going to come to the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're going to remember that only through his sacrifice do we offer ourselves as an act of worship. Only through his sacrifice can we seek relationship 
with others. Hebrews 13 says it like this. Through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, our godly interactions, our healthy relationships are pleasing sacrifices to God. And so verse 2 says, offer yourself as a spiritual sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, to the spirit of this age. Don't be conformed. Kids, if you want to understand what, what the word conform means, I know you all have slime at home because it's a, it's a big hit, I think, still. Uh, I know we still have slime in our house. If you take slime and you put it into a jar, what will happen? It conforms and takes the shape of the jar. If you pull it out and put it in a cup or pull it out and put it in a bowl, if you could somehow squeeze it down into a soda bottle, what's going to happen? That slime's going to drip down into the soda bottle and conform to the shape of the thing around it, right? And the scripture says, don't be conformed to the sinful patterns and habits and priorities of the world. Don't, don't become shaped like the fallen world around you. Be transformed. Be transformed in your relationships. Don't become conformed to the sinful worldly habits, but rather adjust, yes, adjust to cultural expressions and style, but not to the sin around you. Don't compromise standards in order to gain acceptance with friends or family. Rather, be transformed. Uphold biblical standards with conviction and compassion. Don't be conformed and thereby assimilate and adapt the environment and the society around you. Rather, invest and engage with the people. Engage with the society around you as one who has been transformed. And so verse 2 says, by the mercies of God, let's present ourselves as living sacrifices and be transformed by our minds, uh, the renewal of our minds. See, listen, through Christ you are born again. One day your body will be transformed. Your soul now is transformed, but even now our minds are being renewed. Our thoughts, our values, our understanding of God, of ourselves, of, of our relationships, of the world is being transformed, how we think and how we reason. See, look, we, we think drastically different than those outside of, of Christ. Most non-believers think very differently from us on, non, on critical issues, but it's not because we're somehow smarter and, and, they're, and they're, they're not smart. It's because our minds have been renewed. We've been transformed, not because we're more intelligent, but because we're more into the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so as we are transformed by the work of Christ, as our minds are renewed by the Spirit of God, we can now, verse 2 says, investigate, test, discern, God, what is your will? What is it to follow you and honor you in our lives and in the world? God, what is good? What's pleasing? What's acceptable? What is honorable and how do we honor those around us? And so we see here that grounded in this transforming work of Christ, we now get practical guidance for, for living in a fallen world. That amidst our sinful surroundings, amidst difficult relationships, we now are called to show honor. And I want us to see secondly this morning that to show honor means to be humble, not full of yourself. That's, that's the second thing we see there in verses 3 through 8, that we are called to be humble, not full of yourself. Right? To be full of yourself is to be prideful, arrogant, to think you're better than everybody else. But verse 3 says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't puff yourself up and be proud and arrogant. Don't think you're better than yourself. Now listen, it does not say, don't think highly of yourself. There's a sense, a very real sense, in which we should think highly of ourselves. What it says is, don't think more highly of yourself 
than you ought. Rather, it says, think about yourself with sober judgment. That means to have sound judgment, to be sensible, to be reasonable. As you assess yourself, be reasonable. What type of person are you? It says, assess yourself according to the measure of faith assigned by God. We've each been assigned a measure of faith. Now, this I don't believe is talking about saving faith or our worth in God's eyes, but it's talking about our faith in terms of our daily strength and the ability to live out the Christian life. You have to assess the faith that you've been given by God and and do that humbly with a sound assessment of yourself and your Christian life and your calling and your gifting, right? Because it goes on to say that we all have the specific grace of God for different gifting. And 6 through 8 says, look, in addition to different personalities and different measures of faith, we have different functions, different measures of grace. And some are gifted with prophecy, others to teach or exhort or to give or to lead or to be generous or to be merciful. We're different, different faith, different grace, different gifts. And so in verses 4 to 5, we get this picture speaking specifically about the church of Christ. We see here that the body of Christ is a compilation of many members. And in each part in the church, in the body of Christ, does not have the same function. We are all different people, but we're united together as the body of Christ. And he is the head, and we are, as the body of Christ, we are the shoulders, knees, and toes, right? He's the head, we're the shoulders, knees, and toes. Kids, help me out. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Knees and toes. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Right, so Jesus is the head. We're all different body parts, joined together individually, each part bringing a vital contribution to be the body of Christ, but we're all different. And so we need to understand and we need to value one another and appreciate because it says we belong to one another. And so the, the, the call here is to be humble, not full of yourself. You're to think of yourself with sober judgment, with a reasonable assessment of yourself. And when you do that, it honors God, it honors who you are in Christ, and it honors the people around you. Right? So if I'm going to do an honest assessment of myself, here's what I would say. I think I'm a good preacher. I think I'm a good leader. I, I actually think I'm a good water skier. been water skiing my whole life. I would venture to say I'm probably better water skier than most of you. I'm just putting it out there. I'm trying to do an honest, a sound judgment. However, I would also say that I'm a terrible accountant and bookkeeper, right? I could never do what Chris Lewis or our bookkeeper does. I, I'm also a terrible worship leader. Like, I, I could not lead songs on Sunday morning. Now, here's, here's the thing. If I'm going to do a sound assessment of myself... I used to think that I was a really good outreach event planner because for the first like five years of the church, I planned and organized and coordinated our Easter bash, our Christmas bash, right? I used to think that. And then it struck me this year when I came to the Easter bash and there was like 130 kids and I saw what Brittany Perkins and Susan Mitcheltree were doing and I thought, oh, that's what it looks like to be a great children's outreach event coordinator, right? And I realized, like, I didn't have an honest, accurate, humble assessment of myself because those two ladies blew it out of the water, right? We had 150 kids here. It was organized. It was planned. And they had fun. They were safe. The gospel was proclaimed. It was wonderful. And I'm like, yeah, I could never do that. Think with sober judgment, friends. In the church, we should honor one another in the contributions and the gifting and the differences of one another. Some of you know Pastor Ray Ortland, and he observes that most of the world lives in this unhealthy atmosphere of criticism. 
But he says things should be different in the church. And listen to what Pastor Ray says. He says, those who are destined for glory are now commanded by God to create an alternative culture of honor called churches, where people are lifted up, their accomplishments celebrated, their strengths admired, their weaknesses forgiven. This new relational environment has high standards in keeping with the glory of the gospel itself. Who Christ is, what he has done, the glory of the gospel should be reflected and lived out in the way that we honor and celebrate and appreciate one another. How do you see yourself? Because how you see yourself has a direct connection, relationship to your relationships with others. Some Some of us here today struggle to overestimate ourselves, but that's detrimental to your relationships. If you puff yourself up and think you're better than all the people around you, you are dishonoring them. Others struggle with too low a view of yourself. But even if you underestimate who you are, how gifted you are, how much you have to contribute, that is also dishonoring to other people. Because when you tear yourself down, you're dishonoring what God has put in you, and you're not giving others the best that you truly are. See, whether you overestimate or underestimate yourself, you're not honoring those around you. And so the call is to properly estimate, to estimate who you are before God and what God has given you. And so be humble, not full of yourself. But next, in in verses 9 to 13, we see that to show honor means to be loving, not complacent. And these key principles are true in the home, in the church, in the world. We're called to be loving, not complacent. That's the third key point there you see on your outline. We see in verse 9, the call is to love one another, to be genuine without hypocrisy, right? Someone, Someone who's genuine is sincere. See, listen... Christians are called to love, but that is not fake, it's not fluffy, it's not superficial. Listen, kids, you can tell your mom, I said, don't be nice, right? This is not not just being nice because you're supposed to be nice. This is receiving the love of God, being transformed by the love of God, and saying, God, help me to love others as I have been loved. Genuine love. Now, it's interesting, it goes on to say there in verse 9 that that love doesn't mean you lose all standards. It doesn't mean that you support someone in their sin, right? God is love, but he's also completely pure and holy. And so verse 9 says to genuine love abhors all that is evil and holds on to all that is good. And in verse 10, we're called to brotherly love, brotherly affection. This word Philadelphia, right? This idea of sibling affection, now, now, if you have siblings, you know that affection may not be the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about your siblings, right? And I grew up with an older sister, a younger brother. There was a lot of bickering, a lot of fighting. My sister was three years older, and to be honest, she would pick on me and my younger brother. She would bully us a little bit. She, she was stronger and bigger than us, right? Girls uh, go through puberty earlier, and when I finally started getting bigger and, and old enough where I could now take her and I could resist her when she would try to pin me down, right? And I was excited. Now I could fight back. Now my older sister. And, and one day my dad saw me grab my sister. And he looked at me and he said, you do not touch your sister. And I was like, man, like five years of waiting. Now I can finally. And that was it. He put a stop to it. And I never did fight back against my sister. But you know what I learned? I learned to honor the women in my life. I learned to protect and to care for and to honor women, to love them with brotherly affection. 
So verse two, verse 10, kind of our key theme for the day, says to outdo one another in showing honor. One translation says give preference to one another in honor. Or you could translate that as lead the way in honoring one another. Now, for some reason, when I read this verse, I always think about like two people walking up to a door together at the same time. You ever had this experience where you walk up and you go to grab the door handle, right? And you're like, oh, after you. And they're like, oh, no, 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 please go ahead after you. And you're like, no, no, I insist, really. And you open, after you, oh, no, I, I really, please. And it's like this standoff, right? Like you're outdoing one another. Who's going to be more honorable? I'm not going to go first, right? So just give in. At some point, somebody's got to go through the door, right? But that's the idea is you, you should, your instinct should be no. I don't want to be first. Let, let, let the others go before me, that we would outdo one another in honor. We got a lot of Timothys here at Living Hope. Our name in Greek, Timotheus, is to honor God, that root word of honor. To honor, as we've said, is to recognize someone's value and worth, and therefore to treat them with dignity and respect. See, as we show respect to one another, as we show dignity, as we esteem each other, as we value and appreciate one another, that is an expression of love. Listen, honor is an expression of love to appreciate and value someone. But in order to honor someone, you have to value them. Right? You have to truly believe that they are valuable. And we don't always treat one another with honor because honestly, we don't always think that we're worthy. Right? So think about it like this. You have a car parked in your driveway. It's 25 years old. It's a beater. It barely passes inspection every year. Right? But then let's say you, you, you just got a promotion and you bought a brand new 2023, fill in the blank, whichever model car you most prefer, a 30,000 plus vehicle, which one's more valuable? The new one, right? Which one are you going to treat with dignity, with respect? Which one are you going to be more careful about? Which one are you going to be more upset about if your kids ride by and scrape the side of it with their bike, right? The new one. Why? Because it has more value. If we are going to live out this culture of honoring, valuing, and appreciating one another, we have to see the value. You will only honor people to the degree that you value them. So what is our honor based on? Do we honor people who are rich, who are attractive? Do we honor people who are powerful or influential? That's often how the world operates. No. Listen, we honor all people. We treat all people with dignity, with value, with worth. Why? Because they are created in the image of God. Listen, this is crucial. All humans across the face of the earth are created in the image of God, created to reflect him, to be like him. And so when we honor our fellow humanity, we are honoring God, right? If you spit on a picture of me, it's not me, but it's a picture of me, I'll feel dishonored. If you spit on my children, I'm really going to be dishonored, right? That my children are not me, but they reflect me. They, to some degree, they're, they're born in my image, right, as, as a reflection of me. And so when we honor other human beings, we honor God in whose image they are created. All people are worthy of honor. We honor fellow Christians, all Christians. Yes, here at Living Hope. Yes, those that are in your life group that you agree with. But we honor Christians even when we disagree with them on theology, on worship style, on practice, on political ideology, on parenting choices. We honor our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we are co-heirs with them. We, along with them, were worthy of the price of God's own son, Jesus. And so every 
person who names Jesus Lord is to be honored. All people are worthy of honor and respect. The elderly are worthy of honor because they have experience and service and wisdom that we have not yet even reached. Those that are very young are worthy of honor because of their vulnerability. Our peers are worthy of honor because they have a unique ability to support us. Strangers, people you just met for the first time are worthy of honor, again, because they're created in the image of God. Those who do not know Christ, who at times seem to be your enemies, listen, they are worthy of honor. Why? Because they are in desperate need of God's grace. Honor them in their need. Treat them with respect. We honor people in all contexts. I hope and pray, Living Hope Church, that we are living this out first and foremost in our home. Husbands, honor your wives. Wives, honor your husbands. Children, honor your parents. Parents, listen, honor your children. Your children are worthy of dignity and respect. So often we are irritated and frustrated and we belittle and demean our children because we feel like we don't have time for them. We're belittling children created in the image of God, given to us as a gift. In the church, honor one another. We're brothers and sisters. We're fellow heirs of God's grace. Honor those who are in ministry leadership over you, elders and deacons and ministry leaders. Honor anyone who serves in the church. Even in the world, honor your neighbors. Honor your supervisors at work. As chapter 13 of Romans will go on to say, we are called to honor, to subject ourselves to government officials who have been placed there by God. This culture of honor, this value is pervasive. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, very simply summarizes it like this. This is about as all-inclusive as you can be. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Christian, this is our call. This is what it means to be loving and not complacent. See, verse 11 talks about the very real reality that many of us give into complacency. Kids, to be complacent means to be lazy. If you wrote down the word complacent and you don't want to know what it means, just write above it, lazy. Right? It means you're slothful, you're, com- you're apathetic. And so we're told in verse 11, don't lag behind in this. Don't lag behind in diligence of love and honor. Be fervent, be enthusiastic, be passionate in your life. Be eager to serve the Lord. Verse 12 says, rejoice. Rejoice in the hope you have in Christ, even when you face tribulation and trouble, as you surely will. Be patient, trust God, persist in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, verse 13 says. A saint is anyone made holy by God. And it goes on to say, and show hospitality. That means to show love and care, not only for saints in the church, but for strangers, for outsiders. The Word of God summarizes our call like this in Galatians 6. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. A comprehensive call, your lives not conformed to the world, but transformed through the work of Christ. Now look, it's relatively easy to do this when you have a healthy home life or you're in a a strong, healthy church, right? It's relatively easy to have healthy relationships, to honor people that you like, that are like you, that you get along with when it's easy. But this next section, looking at verse 14 to 21, I think gives us real, real good guidance on what to do when people are different, when people are difficult, or when people are destructive. And the call we see fourthly is to show honor means to be peaceable, not spiteful. 
You can write that in. The last point there on your notes is to be peaceable, not spiteful. Spiteful is just mean. Kids, if you don't want to, I hope you learned some new words today, but if you don't know what spiteful means, just write mean above it. It means you're vindictive, you're hurtful. And so we see that we're called to love and honor people that are different from us, right? How you relate to somebody who's going through something you've never experienced. Maybe somebody's going through something hard, a divorce, the death of a loved one, a sickness. Or maybe it's something exciting. Somebody got a promotion. You've never got that. Somebody's going on a, on a really exciting vacation to a, a foreign place. How do you relate to somebody? How do you connect with somebody when you can't identify, per se, when you've never experienced the emotion or the experience that they've had? I see this oftentimes when, when families go through hardship. could be the exact same loss or hardship, but people process it differently. Their emotions are different, and it can be hard to relate with people. And so what does verse 15 say? When someone's joyful, rejoice with them. When someone is full of sorrow and they're weeping and grieving, weep with them. Christian, that means we're called to be sensitive, to be sympathetic towards others, towards those that are different from you. Have sympathy for them, compassion with them, join with them in their rejoicing or in their sorrow. But what about people that are difficult to connect with? Verse 16 says, live in harmony, be understanding with one another. Right? And so we're called, we've already heard this call, not to be arrogant, not to be proud, not to puff yourself up, but associate with the lowly. Connect and relate to, quote unquote, the lowly people. Right? So that means don't be wise in your own eyes and think so highly of yourself that there's other people that are beneath you that are too good for you to be understanding with one another. And I, and I think we can practice this by going out of our way to be kind, to be hospitable to people in our society that are deemed to be lowly. I hope, Christian, we don't look at people that way, but culturally in society there are certain people. When you come across somebody that's working hard in a job that you might otherwise not ever consider doing, or that other people in our culture think is lowly, whether it be a janitor, a busboy, a trash man, an Uber driver, I think we need to go out of our way, smile, say hello, look him in the eyes and say thank you so much for keeping this facility clean. Those that work in a business or in an office, do you know the name of the people that clean your facility? Bless them in Jesus' name. We are called to give honor to the outcast, to the homeless, to the poor, to people with disabilities, to orphans, to widows, to refugees. Yes, at times it's difficult. And so we, by God's grace, we connect and associate. But what about those that are destructive? What about those that are hurtful, that have harmed or hurt you? Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Paul's writing here to Christians that are being discriminated and persecuted and oppressed for their faith, and rather than fight back or curse them or lash out, the scriptures say, bless those who persecute you. To bless somebody means you think of them, you speak of them, and you act towards them with the favor and grace of God. That means, verse 17 says, that when someone hurts you, when someone wrongs you, whether it's a friend who says something mean, whether it's a coworker, who fails to meet your expectations, you do not pay evil for evil. Rather, you give careful thought, it says, to what is honorable. Your instinct might be to fight back, but verse 17 says, what is honorable in this situation? Don't seek revenge. Listen, you might love Captain America or Iron Man, but don't be an avenger. Vengeance belongs to God. 
Verse 19 says that God is king and judge of a world, that vengeance and judgment belongs to him and not us. It is not your place to seek revenge. And what, what happens if you do, verse 20 says, if you try to fight evil with evil, you will be overcome yourself with evil. Listen, I don't know whoever came up with the, the, the notion that you fight fire with fire. It seems kind of stupid. I think you're better off fighting fire with water, right? Let's be people who fight fire with water. Let's be people who overcome hate with love, who overcome evil with good, who, who fight criticism with kindness, who react against anger with peace, who receive abusive speech and we forgive and speak words of kindness. The only way we'll overcome evil is with good by the power of Christ and in his name. And listen, that applies both to your real life interactions and also the internet. There are not a different set of rules or expectations for social media or online interaction, Christian. Whether your, your post is anonymous or not, God in heaven knows. Verse 21 presses us even further and says, look, if your enemy is hungry, if he is thirsty, help them, take care of them. Give them something to eat. And when you do, it'll be like pouring hot coals on their head. And here's what happens. If somebody's sitting down and you dump hot coals on their head, one of two things are going to happen. They're going to jump up and be so startled and shaken, they're going to hop up and, and, and be startled out of their complacency, realize what they've done, and Lord willing, repent and come to God. Or in their hardness of heart, they'll simply sit there with hot coals burning on their head, and it will inevitably lead to their judgment before God. Our call is to give and serve even our enemies and let God be, take care of the outcome. And so the call here is to be peaceable, be peaceable, not spiteful. Don't be mean, don't be hurtful. Verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Peace may not always be possible, but as far as it depends on you, do everything that you can. Pray, pray for the person, pray for your own heart. Forgive them in your own heart. Let them know that you've forgiven them. Seek reconciliation. Speak kindly. Do all that you can to seek peace with those in your life. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now sometimes, people that hurt us or seek to harm us, you've got you to treat them like a stink bug. I'm just going to be honest. I'm, I'm responsible for stink bugs in our home, Right? meaning that, that i, I got to take care of them. And I've learned the hard way, right? If you grab them too firmly, what's going to happen? They're going to stink in your hand, right? If you try to crush them and throw them in, in the trash, they're, they, they're liable to stink and smell up the whole house, right? And so what do you have to do with a stink bug? you got to get a napkin, you very gently ease it onto that napkin. You carry it over to the door, right? You open the door and you give it a little flick, Right? That is the best way to handle a stink bug so that you don't get sprayed, and that is the best way ultimately to handle destructive, difficult peace, people with whom peace is not possible. Because if you try to crush them and hurt them, guess what? Their stink is going to be on you, and that lasts for hours with a stink bug, and it can last for months or years in our human relationships. If you don't like that analogy, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
Christian, you have been transformed. The call is not to be conformed to the patterns and the, and the relational tendencies of the world around us because almost everything we've just said this morning is countercultural. It's seen as foolish by the perspective of the world, but we have been transformed through the death of Jesus, through his resurrection. And so to not be conformed, but to be transformed into the image of God means that we honor people. It means that we're humble, not full of ourselves. God, give us grace to, to make an accurate assessment of ourselves, to walk in humility. It means that we are loving, not complacent. To love others is to honor them, not to sit back idly, but to, but to act with zeal and passion to proactively honor the people around you. It means that we're a people who seek peace. We're not spiteful or bitter or angry. We seek to be made to make peace. Just as God has treated us, we seek to treat others.